welcome to Koshiancast, the world's number one long writer's film criticism podcast. <laughs> My name is Matt, and joining me today is a very special guest, Matt. Hey! Alright, so this is week 10 of the fall anime season. We'll be covering all <clears throat> sports anime that aired between December 4th and December 10th, as we do every week. Uh, one note before we dive in, this uh, this week featured the last episode of the season for Haikyuu, so in this episode we're going to talk about episode 10 of Haikyuu specifically. Uh, we'll also be releasing a series or a season review for Haikyuu, um, so look for that. We'll, we'll be talking more generally about what season 3 of Haikyuu did well, what it didn't do well, what were uh, its highlights, um, some things that really stuck out to us. Um, so look for that and uh, you know pass it pass it on to anyone in your life who uh, who enjoys high Q or who you think might enjoy high Q and uh, you know I, th- I think we we had quite a fun run with it and it's good to look back on on what the series accomplished. Um, so all that being said, how are you feeling, Matt? I'm doing good. I'm excited about high Q. I'm excited to discuss Yuri. All right, so let's just jump right in. Uh, what happened this week in Yuri on Ice? Okay, so this week we had we started on Victor and Chris meeting at a pool in Barcelona. Correct? They're in yes. They're in Spain right now. Correct? Right. Yes. So they meet at a pool in Barcelona. All of the different skaters are already there. A bit, uh, essentially, all of the skaters who have made it to the finals. Yuri and Victor eventually meet up for their practice, and they end up skipping out on their practice so that they can go out shopping. There's this whole weird scene where they're looking for nuts that Yuri had misplaced that kind of doesn't really come up again. We'll maybe go into that a little bit later here. But anyway, the point is, after they do that, they go out into, like, a a Christmas market, basically, because it's getting close to Christmas. There we find out that Victor's birthday is coming up soon, and, but he mentions, eh, don't worry about my birthday, Yuri. Like, we don't, like, I'm from Russia. We don't really celebrate birthdays all that much, and we don't really do much for Christmas. But anyway, Yuri gets very excited because he sees a ring shop, and they go out to buy themselves some rings. Uh, then there's this quick interlude with a character that they had introduced earlier in the episode by the name of uh, Odebek, a skater from uh, Kazakhstan, who I believe is the only skater we saw this episode, who we didn't see in any of the Correct. other ones. And apparently we discover uh, Yurio has, is being assaulted by his fans because, you know, oh my god, he's so hot, here he's finally here around us. And Odebeck basically saves Yurio from being mobbed, and they go out, and Odebeck actually extends friendship to Yurio, because apparently they used to train together. And But then after we get done with that, we have the big scene from this episode that everybody is talking about, which is the big engagement scene between... Uh, Yuri and Victor. And it's a very lovely scene. We're at a church, and the two essentially exchange vows from one another. They slip the rings on one another. And then there's this... They all go out to a restaurant afterwards. I Do you remember what the context of that was? Of that, why they were going together to, like, this weird little after party? Well, they they went out because they met up with the, the two women from Yuri's hometown... And they That's asked, right. oh, can you bring some of the other skaters? And then eventually all of them showed up except JJ. Yes. Well, he does okay. show up at the very end. Anyway, 
so at this after party, we have uh, basically Victor reveals that no, these these rings aren't wedding rings; they are engagement rings. So we'll get married after Yuri gets the gold. In which case, JJ bursts in, and there's this big funny scene about where. You know, he proclaims that, no, he's going to be the one to get the gold so he can get married because we discover he has a fiancé. And then the episode ends with them. They're going to a party of some kind that they go to every year. And apparently it's a, it was a big issue for Yuri because he has big anxiety issues. Last year, he when he went to one, he got super drunk. He had very embarrassing situation. And the credit roll is actually a completely different song. And they're going through the phones... Of and looking at all the pictures that were taken during this big silly scene of Yuri's. Right. And then the big reveal at the end of that episode was that apparently Yuri had actually approached Victor that year uh, implanting the idea in his head to come by and train Yuri. Correct. Okay. And I did I miss anything there? No, that's, that's the broad brushstrokes, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so I, th- I think we should just start off and talk about the the thing that everyone's talking about, which is the Yuri and Victor exchanging rings. Um, so right. what what did you think of that scene? How it was set up and the the scene itself, and then I guess you know how they describe the rings after the fact. Okay, so I okay, so fangirls just. Uh... Keep your keyboards at bay, or your phones, or whatever. I was not big on this scene. I felt that... This series has been dancing around a lot about Yuri and Victor's relationship. Mm-hmm. And... What I don't... And it's pretty obvious, you know, these are two guys who are in a relationship. I feel like with this scene with the fact that the series is refusing to acknowledge that these two are, in fact, actually, you know, a homosexual yeah. couple, this felt very cheap to me. In the sense that... Uh, this is going to sound really weird. I I am This episode, I did not see a lot of difference between this and Keijo. Uh, okay. It, just in the sense of how they try and present... Or present their okay so the boys love aspects let's just face it that's the major appeal of the series we can both agree on in terms of why it's popular yeah yes meanwhile the big appeal about keijo is essentially the setup you know we have cute girls battling with their butts it's being very out in the open about what like what it's about and yuri on ice's big appeal was that they're essentially out in the mm-hmm. open about right right but they're not quite there yet and i felt like this exchange was a i don't know if it's emotionally manipulative but it feels very pandering to me in the sense that because this is a series that does not want to acknowledge its main couple as being mm-hmm. a couple to me what it's what it felt like it was saying was this is a fetish like, this bond between two very close, unique individuals 
This is something for you to ogle at. We're going to look in at this very private matter between these two men. And, like, this is for this is for you. This is not about them. Mm. Yeah, that's, it's an, that's an interesting perspective. Um, one of the things that bothered me about it was that it felt like they were they were trying to do everything at once what what i what i mean right. by that is that so they have this scene where it wasn't entirely clear to me how victor got his ring i might have the the ring that he gave I, I think you it wasn't clear to me right. that in the jewelry store they were both buying them separately um, right. So that that seemed kind of random, but okay, I'll forgive it. Um, what what bothered me was that it felt like they were trying to still hedge their bets in an engagement scene. Like, so these were these two characters exchanging rings, making promises to each other, but the promises were not specifically about their relationship, right? So they were still framing right. their promises in terms of figure skating and about their commitment right. to try their hardest and to skate their best and to be a good coach, whatever. Um, so it was clear that it was about how they related to one another, but it was not... They were not specifically romantic or interpersonal commitments that they were making. Um, right. In addition... Which, I... One second. Um, the the other the other <laughs> thing that bothered me about it was that afterwards, at the restaurant, you know, Victor is very open, like, oh, these are engagement rings, we're going to get married. So that's, you know, sort of settled that from his perspective. But Yuri, the entire episode still, you know, didn't actually acknowledge that. He didn't acknowledge what he intended the ring to be for. He never said out loud unless I'm missing something completely, he never explicitly acknowledged that this was about being in a romantic relationship with Victor. Okay, so that, because I mentioned to you before, I thought they brought it around at the end. See, that was the funny thing for me, because that was the part, actually, that br that I appreciated almost. Because, so there's a line from Pitchett, and I, because I was actually getting really annoyed at this, like, oh my god, are they... Because I think you, what you're saying here kind of some it goes in line with with what I was trying mm -hmm. to say, which is basically the like because they're trying to kind they're trying to push this couple, but because they refuse to actually acknowledge them as a couple, they have to write these vows as being incredibly mm -hmm. vague. And you know it's about the figure yeah. skating, even though it's obvious what's going on here. They're not. They're kind of cowering away from the right. subject matter. So, what got me really, really hard, and I actually laughed for a good minute after this. I actually had to pause the episode just to catch my breath, because I was so taken aback by this. Is Pitchett sees the rings on both Yuri and Victor's hands. He's like, oh, you guys got married! Congratulations! Hey, everybody, my friends just got married! Yeah, right, exactly. And I pretty much died because it was like, okay, we have decided to forego pretense here. This is the first time that I feel like the series has ever had the courage to kind of, to actually straight up say, okay, these two are a couple, okay? Right. What, what, what bothers me is that if I, if I didn't want to see it that way, I could still get away with it. Because the way that Yuri reacts 
is the way that any anime character would react is if they were saying, oh, this is such a wacky misunderstanding, and he tries to back off and explain it away, even though the series is very, you know, they wouldn't have this tenderly animated scene of two characters putting ring on each other's ring fingers in front of a church if they weren't making a symbolic wedding. But they they don't actually pull the trigger. Um, and for me, it's like, you're doing everything. Why not just be right. honest about it? Right, just be out mm-hmm. about it. So, I don't know. But, but you, no, I, I think I understand what you're saying here. I'm going to try and look at this from a different way, because I feel... The way I saw Yuri, because he never actually makes an excuse, oh no, we're not... Because he never outright tries to say, no, we're hey, not engaged. we're not getting married. No, he, he kind of freaks out a little bit. It seems more, it came off to me more like he was just nervous about the situation. Uh, and that's kind of how I took it. That's fair. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know. I, I am with you on this where it's, uh, you said something before the episode and I, it stuck with me because I feel the same way. I feel like I should have liked this episode mm-hmm. better. Yeah. Um, so, kind of moving away from that here for just <laughs> <Okay>. a moment. <laughs> so, what did you think about how they handled the ending sequence? That was kind of the other I, big thing. I honestly that... thought that was the highlight of the episode. Um, I would have liked <laughs> to see video, I guess. But, but I thought it, it was funny that a lot of the things that Yuri has spent the entire series learning about himself and coming to terms with about himself were there right. all along. It's just that he had to get blackout drunk. Um, so <laughs> he was, you know, he was already, he, he had this more uh, feminine allure as part of his personality, but he just wasn't comfortable being right. open about it. But, you know, you can see that very much being the case. And the way that he's sort of... Uh, physically seduces um victor you know that that was something that he was very intentional about it it was an interesting callback because that explains why victor was kind looking at him in the Mm -hmm. first place exactly even though i mean again it's also one of those things where you know he's watching this video of somebody who's performing his routine you know it, it makes sense why he would have looked at it in the first place, but it adds an extra layer there because now we, we can go back and watch that scene and realize, oh, he was actually specifically looking out mm-hmm. for Yuri. He was in, he was already intrigued by him, and this wasn't just a whim that he was acting on. This was actually something that... This was almost like it put him over mm-hmm. the edge. I agree. The uh, I, I liked that. I wish... I mean... So we have two episodes left of of this this series and right i still don't feel like i know victor as a character i feel like i only know him in relation to yuri Yuri. and that's i think some of my hesitation about them going straight to being engaged is like on some level we don't know who victor is it feels like a a jump I feel like... I have two things to say to that. First of all, I'm going to say... I feel like this episode was getting us to know Victor a little bit more. Because he does have that meeting with Yurio, yeah. if you recall. And he he's talking with Yurio, and he says to him... or Yurio starts yelling at him, and it's like, Hey, you know, that stupid, uh, that stupid match from before. And Victor 
acknowledges in his head, yeah, leaving you is the right call because it made you more mm. hungry. Had I stuck around, you would have just been complacent. And I felt like that was a bit more of a touch of what we can see. Uh, that was a bit more of a touch of his personality shining through. He act, And it's kind of one of those slow reveals of he acts very free and very, you know, very carefree and very unattached by everything. He does actually no, understand a little bit more than he yeah. I mean, I I liked because I liked the recurring thing where he says that you know, for twenty years I've been so focused on skating that I haven't experienced love and I haven't experienced life, um, and those are two things that I really experienced in a new way with Yuri and with all the people in Japan, um, and so that's clearly part of his attachment to it, but you know. Right. I think we get to see. I, I feel I feel somewhat comfortable with seeing where Victor is at currently as a character. Right. But I don't feel like I have under any understanding of where he came from. You know, I can I, I can see where his mindset is at, but I have no idea what his mindset was before. He seemed. It seems like oh, we've got this personality in front of us, but this caricature in the past, and so that's why I feel like on some level it's a little difficult to trust him completely with this committed romantic relationship when you don't actually know where he comes from, or at least I don't. And I... F so here's my problem, is that if we didn't have two episodes left, I would say that this... And it still may do this. I would say that is probably the intent of the character, because... Think of it like this, because Victor has completely come in and changed Yuri's mm -hmm. life. It's pretty much, it's been kind of a whirlwind thing for Yuri, right. right? And Yuri is essentially being strung along by this man that he's idolized yeah. for right. years. And it, it, I'm trying to figure out the right words to explain this. Yuri, I feel like, is still seeing Victor. There's a kind of a sign in this episode because he says to Victor... Hey, you know, this is, because Victor wants him to keep practice on, practicing his routine, and Yuri says to him, Hey, you know, that's not really you. I don't want you to stop being you just because you're my coach. You know, let's just go out shopping, mm -hmm. okay? And that's Yuri somewhat attempting to reach out to Victor and show, Hey, I understand you a little bit better now, mm -hmm. right? And, you know, you know, Victor's ha more than happy to do it. You know, he's happy to go out with Yuri and have fun with him that afternoon. But I feel like that's also supposed to be part of this whole mystery of who Victor is, is also supposed to be part of their relationship. Because Yuri really doesn't know that much about what shaped exactly. Victor. Yeah. And we're kind of still seeing Victor through Yuri's eyes, even though, you know, we get a lot of scenes without Yuri in them and focusing on Victor. We're still seeing it. We're still kind of viewing Victor through his eyes. Yeah. So, I don't... If this series wasn't ending in two episodes, I would say that this would be the time for them to pull... Basically pull the rug out from underneath this and reveal something, reveal something pretty major about Victor's right. past. I mean, they need, like, five to eight more episodes. <laughs> yeah, you know, that was kind of... Because they really rushed through... That past cup, and 
I was thinking about that watching these past couple episodes. Like, this series really would have benefited from being a full 26-episode right. series. I mean, I don't know if you can maintain the kind of animation quality if you were trying to do it all at once, but maybe just right. get up to the point of... Honestly, if they'd spent the first 13 episodes and just gotten through the Cup of China, but actually spent their right. time there, and then taken it and maybe come back in the summer or something with the second season... I th yeah, I think that would have been great. They may not have an, enough material to do that. I don't know. I mean, it has been a very tightly told story, and I am happy to take a tightly told anime over one that over exactly, another one that yeah. doesn't know what to do with all the time on its hands. But <laughs> yeah, it does, exactly. Um, <laughs> but that that being that um, being said, uh, do you want to address a, uh, just a couple more points? Because a few other things did happen in this episode before we move on, right? Yeah, sure thing. Uh, I did want to mention, though, that you're kind of talking about how fast it's moved through the series, kind of moving on to a separate point with that. I do feel like that's part of its appeal, though, because this is not a series that's going to take, that's taking a long time. Right. And trying to lay everything out for us. I Because it's, it's getting to Yeah, the and there's something exciting and to I, freak out about every week. Yeah, exactly. And that's one of the major things about this series, is that it's done in a very... Something about this series feels very contemporary. Mm. Um, either it's due to that because of the very natural way it presents its figure skating matches, where it kind of goes in with the assumption that you might have already have some knowledge. You know, you're watching this series as if though you had just turned on the Winter right. Olympics and you were watching the figure right. skating routines. You may not know everything that's going on, but you know enough. Right. You know, you're, you're just watching it for, the, like, the pretty routines. Right. Um, but then there's also the aspect... Uh, and it, it has a very fast-paced setting, or pacing. And it feels... Like I was saying before, it feels very modern. Especially with the way how it's using, uh, like, social media. I think we've talked about this a little bit in the past, but... Like, there's a scene where Yuri is getting up and he's looking at through his phone. And he's looking at, like... I think it's, like, their Instagram yeah. or something like that. And he sees all the different people and, all, like, all the different skaters. Like, he sees uh, picture. you know, he's posting pictures of where he's traveled to. And we have JJ, who has a picture with his fiance, and they use some sort of silly uh, filter mm -hmm. for their photo where they're just hanging right. out. They use some sort of weird little cat photo. Uh, and it's like, I... And, I don't know, it's kind of a double-edged sword. They take away some of that aspect, and I don't think I'm going to like it as much. But at the same time, it would very easily be improved if they could just give some of these scenes a little bit more meat. Yeah. Hmm. This will be this will be an interesting one to to do a, a wrap up on. Obvi obviously, yeah. it's the most one of the most popular anime, if not the most popular anime this season. It's certainly the most popular sports anime. Um, oh yeah. Uh, so. <laughs> All right, so there were a couple other things that happened in this episode that I want to bring up briefly. Uh, the, the first being Yurio and Otobek hanging out. Uh, I didn't really get much from that interaction at all. I don't know about you. Okay, so what I kind of feel like... Yurio has trouble making friends. I think we can both right. kind of agree on that. This is the first time, though, where I feel like we've had a character who's actually reached out to him, I guess. 
and you know, it's somebody who Yurio can actually relate to because it's somebody he used to train with, even though he doesn't really remember that. But this is a character who's still, you know, he's a very, very serious, very, I don't know. Very, well, at, at, they they refer to each other, you know, um, Ojebek says, you know, the look in your eyes, even as a seven-year-old, you looked like a soldier. And so they've clearly, right. I think, if they can, they have this sort of awkward interaction where they acknowledge that they're friends, it's only because they realize, oh, we come from the, the same place, you know? Right, and I think this is, I think the deal with Odebeck is that they're establishing him as somebody who doesn't have a lot of personal connections, but he's trying to find them, and he's trying to, he, he's trying to establish them where he can, and I think that will come into play when, during the final competition. Yeah. Alright, well we've, we've spent a lot of time on Yuri, uh, the last, the last thing I'm gonna say <laughs> is that, uh, JJ is still the best. Uh, so if you haven't seen the episode, for even though I that was clearly not the point of the episode, I was delighted by everything JJ did, and I think I'm yeah no I'm probably I'm with you. misinterpreting the show completely. Um, so I want to move <laughs> on to High uh, Q. So we've got episode ten, the last episode of this season of High Q. Um, it recaps briefly where the last episode ended, and then it jumps in with the uh, rally. So Hinata's uh, spike does not actually uh, land for the winning point. It's deflected, and Ushijima is able to get it back over. Um, ultimately, they, they set up. Ushiwaka uh, is able to get a, another spike, almost going to even it up again. But Daichi can, uh, receives. Kageyama is able to make a, a strong set. And then they have a mass attack, and everyone jumps, moves forward. There's some great camera angles, and uh, Hinata is able to jump. He sees an open space, and he spikes, and he gets the last point off off the back of the court. Everyone freaks out. They realize that they've won. Uh, everyone across No starts crying and hugging. Uh, there's a couple speeches, sort of internal monologues, where various characters analyze exactly what happened um ultimately they they get awarded they get told they're going to nationals they all get a medal and then coach ukai takes them out to dinner half of them fall asleep at dinner um, <laughs> and then they sort of flash forward to later where they're back at school and they're practicing and they they discuss the tokyo qualifiers um because the other two schools that they they trained with uh nikoma and fukuradani are both competing in the qualifiers and they haven't finished yet. So Hinata's hoping and quite confident that he'll be able to play Nikoma in, at nationals. Um, and then you get news at the very end of the episode that Kageyama has been selected uh, for the National Youth Intensive Training Camp. And everyone looks at him in shock. And that's it. And the episode's over. And that's the end of the season. And then uh, see you in two years. Right, exactly. So the the thing Matt's (laughs) referring to is that uh, the manga is not very far ahead of where we're at in the anime. So I was I was reading online that this scene this after the credits where uh, they talked to Kageyama about going to this training camp that was in the manga about three months ago. so yeah. they are right on the line in terms of adapting what's <laughs> recently come out. Um, there's some material in the manga for the the matches 
with the that the Tokyo teams are playing in order to get through the qualifiers. And then uh, apparently the manga has just started the first match for Karasuno at Nationals. So all, all that being said, it will be at least a year, if not two, before we see another Haikyuu series. But that's neither here nor there. I'm grateful for what we... Well, we just got this one, and this one was phenomenal. Exactly. So, so we're not going to... We're not going to talk too much on the overall uh, impact of the series because like i said we're going to be releasing a separate episode where we do exactly that but this episode matt why don't i just love you a softball what stood out to you (laughs) it was the rally uh pretty much so there is so much energy during this scene and i don't know how else better to put it just Everything is just so beautifully animated, and they're still finding ways to mess around with the camera mm-hmm. to keep to just keep you on your seat, just to keep just keep the spectacle going during all of this. Um, and then one of the major things as well that I really loved about this scene as well was just how many small plot beats they introduce or make callbacks mm-hmm. to that just get very briefly touched upon, but continue to play with your expectations and also keep you guessing. Yeah, absolutely. So one of my favorite parts during this is that when dur- when Hinata makes his back attack and Ushi makes his uh, basic ma- uh, manages to send it back to him, Hinata gets spiked in the face mm-hmm. again, and it's not it's never lingered mm-hmm. upon. But in that moment, you have to doubt to yourself. He got spiked in the face yeah. before. And we don't know what that's going to do with him. We already knew that he was tasting blood before. Mm-hmm. And so you see that spike happen and you're thinking to yourself, even though you know we're clearly getting down to the end of the wire here, just, is this the moment where they lose? Is this going to be the final moment mm-hmm. for them? Just based off that one, based off that one scene that they had spent establishing before, and spent building up was I feel like was almost all just for that one single spike for this just to increase the tension during the mm. scene. And then there are a couple other moments as well, like the the setter of the team, uh, Shirabu, when he's making his set, he he thinks to himself, you know, I joined this team because I loved watching Ushi uh, spike, but now like I'm really frustrated right now because I can't do anything. All I can do is send mm. it to him. And that that's sort of like this moment where he realizes... It, it's kind of that defining moment where he realizes my method was wrong. Mm. Yeah, I think... Well, it's... there was, There's almost too much that happens. And it's it's crazy <laughs> because, you know, this, this rally, like we're just discussing, it basically takes up the first seven minutes or so of the episode, um, just right. on the back and forth. And there's lots of, you know, there's flashbacks and a lot of slow-mo and a lot of analysis, but it's really just one rally, but there's so much meat there. Um, the reason right. that I think this series stands out and this episode stands out is that every beat is earned. Um, there's nothing right. there that's random. There's nothing there that's that hasn't been set up by something in this season or in previous seasons. Um, everything that you see, you understand the context for, and you can explain it in terms of how it's been built up with all the characters. So that's the the overall. A couple things that I really liked um, 
was the imagery around Ushiwaka. So there was two scenes that use sort of metaphorical imagery with him. Uh, the first, of where he's trying to uh, go up for his last spike. Before he jumps, they cut to him, and there's this sort of uh, this dark energy around him and these purple flames licking off his body, uh, <laughs> which just communicates how desperately he wants to win this match. So, uh, right. And I thought that was just a great visual that really sums up uh, what his character's like. And then later, when he manages to successfully return a spike, and Karasuno is so frustrated by the fact that they still can't beat him, uh, you have this uh, this imagery of all the members of Karasuno being pinned down with these speed lines, pressuring them down into the ground, with <laughs> Ushiwaka holding their heads down onto the floor and slowly right. as they work their way back they team up and they push each other up and they're able to push this looming giant purple Ushiwaka off their backs and it's it's just such a, a great image that summarizes without having to explain well this is a representative image of how we work as a team but they rely on him as an <laughs> they never had to say that because it was communicated right. clearly enough in everything that preceded it and it's um I think that this this first seven minutes was a distillation of what makes Haikyuu a special show, basically. Oh, yeah. That's a, that's a good way to put it. Because, again, we see a lot of that incredible animation and just insistence on just all these small little details that build up. Like, for example, during that, uh, during that visual metaphor of him just holding him down. Again, they could have very easily gotten away with just having, you know... Just an image of him holding them down and them, you know, maybe slightly trying to push themselves up. But no, uh, it's like, because you have, like, Hinata during the scene, like, just shaking and convulsing. You can see him, like, raise his hand a couple times and just unable to, like, like resist this mm -hmm. pressure just to show how hard this, like, this mountainous weight that's just holding them down. Um, or just, like, this camera work. I love, I just... Like the most striking part of this, the most striking shot of this entire rally, and I'm guessing you'll probably agree with me here, is the shot where all where during the very final spike where they win the match, it rotates around the entire field, mm -hmm. or the entire uh, the entire court, and as it's zooming and it's as it's kind of swirling around, it slowly starts to zoom in on Hinata, and it decides to focus on his hand at the mm -hmm. very end. And what I love about this is that. What's important about this match isn't the fact that Hinata made the spike. This was, like, we are getting an entire shot of this entire team rushing up to fight this, to to finish this off. The fact that Hinata was the one who got the spike is actually inconsequential. Mm -hmm. Because it was really this group effort that did it. Because this was their whole strategy during this match was this sort of this bum rush of how they're not going to be able to guess who's doing the spike. Right, and, and and that's exactly and how that was... it gets set up, is right before that happens, they have the set, they realize that they're getting set up for an all-out attack, and Tendo realizes, I have no idea who's going to make... Like, he, he has this panic moment where he realizes, I don't know who's going to hit it. I have no way yeah, of countering exactly. this right now because they set it up too well. Yeah, exactly, and that was, and that's what I kind of took away from that, uh, from that camera rotation, and I just, and I love how it's, it's showcasing 
all of the characters that never breaks camera model or character models for mm. any of them. It's just it's beautifully animated, and it it's like it it could really be any uh, single one of these characters. It's just that it's chosen to go to Hinata, mm. and just and I love after how Hinata makes the spike. It kind we get like the shot of the ball zooming towards the camera and then swinging around as if though it's trying to get out mm. of the way. It's like mm-hmm. dodging it. And it's like, this is a, this camera is as much of a spectator That's as great. we are. Yeah, no, it was, it was amazing how it ended. And I loved, it really, it, I compliment this show maybe too much, but I can't imagine how it could have ended <laughs> better. Um, I loved all, everyone breaking into tears. I loved the seniors immediately rushing towards each other and crying. Uh, everyone else right. jumping on each other and falling down. The coaches crying. Um, I they had they had a great little character, uh, like just a little moment of ca- comedy thrown in there during the scene where like the crowd is cheering, and I just love that scene where you see the uh, where you see I. Uh, Yachi, I think is her name. The the secondary manager. Yes. And like she's passing it's like this it, like everybody else is cheering and she just passes out in the stands. And this uh Tanaka's sister just very quickly right. catches her. Um it, it was it was funny, they gave they gave their due to pretty much everyone there and gave them their their moment right. to respond. Um some of the ones maybe the one that this stuck out stuck out to me the most was the way that the Shiratorizawa fan section responded um they weren't sad they were confused um to what i liked was this is a parallel to you know when they sang their school song and established their identity as winners was they literally didn't know how to process the idea that they had lost you know the the players understood (laughs) they had lost they they were in tears the crowd was mostly confused they're like but we're we don't lose we don't lose at volleyball it's like, yeah, this was a close game, but we we weren't supposed to lose this. No, this was this was mm-hmm. our game. This was our. I also moment. liked um, how Oikawa observes that Ushiwaka doesn't even look that upset. You know, right. Um, so <laughs> so you know, move on briefly with uh, Ushiwaka and Tendo, how they close out sort of their their relationship, their interaction in this this last episode. Uh, they they have a conversation which I thought was fun. Or T- Tendo asks. Ushiwaka, sort of what he was thinking on that last spike, and he, Ushiwaka said he was he was just thinking about Hinata and wanting to show that he was stronger than Hinata, and so it, it was it was a very it became very personal. He just wanted to show that he was the strongest, uh, and Nintendo thought that was very funny. And Nintendo said that he was going to quit volleyball. He wasn't going to you know he was a senior, so he was leaving. He wasn't going to keep playing in college, but. He was looking forward to, to telling the world that he had been Ushiwaka's best friend, and Ushiwaka just says, "All right, <laughs> all right, fine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly. I guess." Um, I, what I really like about the scene too is that they could have made this again. This is another sequence where they could have just made it just two guys talking to one another, maybe like mm-hmm. in the locker room or something like that. But they're actually, but what they're doing is, even for this moment, they're cooling down and stretching. Mm. They're like, like they're not just, uh, they're not just like chatting with one another. They're, they're kind of like they're on the ground and they're just stretching their legs and they're just having a very, almost like a conversation that you'd have in like the gym, just chatting with your yeah, friend. Yeah, exactly. You're not just because um, they still have stuff to do. They can't just sit around. 
Yeah, so exactly. It's realistic. Like, um, I also like the the Shiratorizawa coach. Well, I don't I don't actually know whether I liked it or not, but the Shiratorizawa coach he comments on he you know he asks his assistant, would you you know he's like, would you say that um, Karasuno's number ten Hinata is about the same height as me? And the assistant's like, yeah, I mean, you're about about the same, I guess. And then he thinks to himself, you know, well, you know, you're you're gonna have a very tough road, and the challenges are only gonna get more significant. So he sort of earlier in the match, he wanted to crush Hinata to show that you know volleyball right. wasn't gonna be rewarding. But at the end, he sort of, you know, it was like we said last time, he had to learn his lesson. And he said, like, well, this isn't going to be easy, buddy. And he sort of started to empathize instead of wanting to um, bring him down. Just, like, t- show him that he was wrong. Like, how yeah. dare you? Like, I learned my place. Why can't yeah, exactly. you? But overall, I thought it was... It ended about the best way it possibly could. It was very satisfying. Um, I enjoyed seeing them just going back to practice and hanging out again and speculating about mm-hmm. what will happen next. I am desperately anxious for the the next season whenever it comes. <laughs> Hopefully, it doesn't become like a full metal panic where we're waiting for a decade. Um, but I can't yeah. imagine it will because this is a pretty popular series. They want to. This is one of Jump's biggest series right now, along with uh, One Piece, and they don't want to let mm-hmm. this die because this because they need a hit. So and they've needed a hit bad. So. I'm hoping they don't wait too long, but at the same time, you know, I also don't want them to rush out... I don't want them to just rush out another mm-hmm. anime. Yeah. Anyway, uh, it's great. We'll have some more in-depth discussion on our series review. Uh, so, look forward to that. And I would like to move on to March Comes In Like a Lion. All right, let's do so it. So, the episode basically centers on Ray's match with... Matsunaga. So they introduced him last time as an elderly player who might quit. He he he's planning to retire if he loses his match against Ray, and so Ray is sort of somewhat conflicted about that. He ends up running into Matsunaga before the match, and he sees Matsunaga at a temple, and Matsunaga is sort of resigned to the fact that he's losing he's like oh i just want to go home i don't even want to go but i still want to win and that just makes ray more anxious because he's seeing this old man who's emotionally struggling with it uh but he does eventually show up for the match um and although ray is kind of confused by matsunaga's strategy eventually he realizes that matsunaga has just made a few mistakes and pretty quickly, Ray is able to <laughs> defeat him. They run into each other outside after the match, and Matsunaga insists that Ray take him out drinking <laughs> because that's that's what the winner <laughs> has to do. So Ray, being unable to say no pe- no to people, uh, goes out and pays for this old man sake. And they you know they talk about Matsunaga's career, about his family, about you know about Ray and about Ray's adoptive father and eventually they, they they basically spend the whole evening together and eventually Matsunaga confesses that he was pretty confident he was going to lose he knows he's on the downswing uh but he still desperately wants to win he's like he's not even sure if he enjoys shogi but he loves winning at shogi so much that he can't quit um so ultimately 
uh, Ray has a phone conversation with Kyoko, and this sort of closes out the the conversation he had with her last week, where he tells Kyoko's kind of mocking him and saying like, "Oh, I saw you won. It's probably for the best that you end his career. You know, it's not your fault. Whatever." Trying to get in his head, and he says, "No, you're wrong." Matsunaga's not quitting. He's never quitting Shogi uh, because he loves it. And, you know, and he's able to see that it's okay to not quit and it's okay that he beat him and he sort of defeated Kyoko for the moment. And then he talks to Matsunaga again. Matsunaga says that he re- he can't quit Shogi because if he does, he'll have to start doing chores and he won't be able to use <laughs> Shogi as an excuse to not help his wife around the house, uh, which I personally thought was pretty great. Yeah. Um, so this was kind of an interesting episode. I didn't really know what to think of it at first. Um, because, first of all, this ended a lot happier oh, than I yeah. had really a expected. 100% happier. <laughs> like, I was expecting him to beat this guy and then to fall into further depression. Uh-huh. But I guess what Matsunaga did for Ray was that he showed him that even if he loses... Or even if he has to do what he doesn't want to do, things are still going to be okay. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that was the big, biggest example is Ray looking at this guy and saying like, he's been playing shogi for forty years. You know, he's been a professional shogi player for forty years, and that made some of the def- the wins and defeats a little less stressful. Is like, yeah, I might lose, but I can just not quit. You know, I can yeah. just not quit, and I can be like this guy. And it can be okay. Um, he may not have the best reasons for still playing Shogi, and he may be kind of an annoying old man, but, like, he still is... He, Ray can see himself in Matsunaga as someone who doesn't necessarily enjoy Shogi, but he loves winning. And that's okay. You can do that. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, and, like, just because you get demoted even though you may lose a class ranking it's fine because you can just work your way back up it it seems almost obvious when you talk about it but i also do understand that it's one of those things that you know when you're young and you haven't really experienced that you don't really think of it right like that. and i think it's also a function where he's a prodigy right so i think he right. he has this sense that it's not okay for him to have setbacks and this helped teach him the lesson that, you know, setbacks are okay. You don't have to be in a direct line to still have a successful and happy career. And that, you know, it's okay to not be the best. You can still be a pro. So, at its best, I see this. Matsunaga it kind of serves as a, uh, a counterpoint to raise vision of him himself through Soya, because Soya is, you know, he's the Japanese champ, and I think Ray has only ever seen himself as being, as that being the acceptable goal, that that being the acceptable right. person to emulate. But Soya is completely isolated. And he says, like, no, actually, like Matsunaga can also be a role model, even though he's kind of weird, right. he's kind of uh, ridiculous, but he has these people in his life that are still a part of it, and he can still be a pro shogi player, and that's still okay. Right. It's like it's not necessarily important to actually achieve a goal, so much as it is just kind of working towards one. Like, because as as strange and kind of obnoxious as this old man is, 
he does seem to live a pretty full mm-hmm. life, and he's fine yeah. with that. Yeah, so I thought this was surprisingly good for Ray. I appreciated the fact that the series let him defeat Kyoko. You know, she was trying to egg him on. She was trying to break him down emotionally right. because she's a terrible person. But he was very explicit. He's like, no, like, you thought you were put me in a lose-lose situation, but that's not true. Um, we can both win. You know, he can win by not quitting, and I can win by playing Shogi the way I believe I should play Shogi. Um, right. And I thought it was interesting that he kind of, it, like, this also sort of shows a, a Ray that's growing more confident, because this he actually reached out to Kyoko exactly. himself. He didn't wait for her to show up and have to go on the defensive and be like, no, I didn't have mm-hmm. to do that. Mm-hmm. Like, no, I want, no. He actively pursues her and is like, hey, guess what? It's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Though I think that also does kind of show that he's maybe, a, he may also be putting a bit too much stock in what she has exactly. to say. Exactly, exactly. He needs to know that she knows that he's strong. Um, I don't know. I, I'm kind of torn the the episode didn't feel like there was a ton of meat to it, it but it did feel nice it felt like it complemented a lot of what had happened so far in the show but i don't think it like dynamically changed anything one way or right. the other well because a lot of this episode was taken up about the on um, the history of famous people from Aizen, uh, so... yeah, I uh... <laughs> it, the the only funny thing to me about that was that ray was also bored by it <laughs> Um, right. No, it's just like what are there, you talking there was very about? One, there was one very very funny note where so Matsunaga had was drinking and he'd been going on and on about Japanese history, and then out of nowhere he changes subjects and Ray freaks out. He's like, "What are you doing? You're just changing subjects all the time." And there's a note like Ray is not doesn't have experience with people drinking, so he doesn't know how drunk people talk. <laughs> um, so <laughs> overall, I thought it was fun and nice, and it definitely took the character in a place that was less destructive right. than it could have been um but i don't know i, I thought it was uh, i thought it was solid but nothing to write home about right uh real quick just before we move on move on i just wanted to ask you one thing what did you think about the fact that they played the cat song oh again? my gosh low that i was baffled by the fact that they need it, it, it was at the uh the break between the, the first and second chapter and without any justification, you know, Hino was nowhere to be seen, uh, no Momo, no nothing. They just break into the untranslated cat shogi song again, three episodes in a row. The first time was great. The second yep. time was justifiable. This time I'm like, they're going to do this every week. Yeah, well, because I think the song is portraying different care, like the different pieces. Because yeah. this week I think was the king. Well, it, it um, wasn't. It wasn't the I king. Think... It was the the lance. Um, oh, it was the but, lance. Yeah. Mind. So either way, uh, I understand the concept that it is. It has different characters every week that it's describing. Uh, I just don't understand one why it's not translated, and two why they're doing it at all. It's. Like, why not just release it as a separate thing with the song? Like, who's who's watching this to watch a cat song about Shogi? I don't know. Okay, so this was my theory on it, because the end of last episode, if you waited past the uh, the preview for the following episodes, for, so for this week's yeah. episode, they mentioned that they were selling uh, Nikaido's cat book as a separate product. Like in real life? 
Yeah, like in real life. They were going to be selling that as an instructional shogi thing. So I think the reason why they keep playing this song is to help advertise that book. Because this is not really a series that is well-suited for merch. Yeah. And <laughs> and so this is kind of a passion project, I believe, of the author of the manga. Because from what I understand, the author tends to get very involved with the anime production. And so, I, I think this is their whole, we need to make money on this somehow. Okay. Well. I, I So, and I think that's why they keep playing this song over and great. over again. Well, yeah, whatever. You want to you wanna talk about those ping pong girls and how scorching they are? Yeah, let's do that. Yeah, let's say. Okay, so, scorching ping pong girls. So, we begin this episode already on the second game uh, between Karuri and Koyori. And... As you can probably expect, Koyori is not doing very well against Karuri. That is going to be a name that is going to be really difficult to mm -hmm. alternate between, by the way. I'm just throwing Great. that out there. Um, and what happens is that eventually we get a scene where Koyori thinks back to a time with Agari where apparently, and I'm going to quote mm -hmm. the series here, that thing we did to grope the best spot possible... Mm -hmm. Um, and what they are, they are, of course, talking about, before your minds go anywhere else, is the fact that they're looking for the sweet spot on the paddle. So, the best place for Agari to actually hit the ball back. And once Agari is able to do this, she is able to actually reliably knock back the ball to Karuri. And Karuri doesn't actually know how to... She's so used to winning after that shot, she's not used to actually having to attack mm -hmm. back. After she used that yeah, shot. Yeah, the curve drive. Yeah, the curve drive. That's what it's called. And after this happens, we learn that Karuri is pretty torn up about the fact that she might actually lose this. Because she's really terrified of losing Zakuro. Mm -hmm. uh, be because the curve drive was actually a maneuver she had developed with Zakuro in order to... Like, she had a natural curve to her tour drives anyway and so rather than trying to work on fixing it Zakuro recommended that she try and work it into her strategy and so then we have it's so Koyori makes up the, the difference they're on the very final set of games uh, it's a 2-2 and Z uh, Karuri decides to try and evolve her shot during classic. the game yeah, classic sports anime here and she does finally managed to do it at the very end of the match, but it's no use because Koyori manages to still counter the mm -hmm. shot. And so then, so Koyori ends up winning the game, and then they all say their goodbyes, and that's pretty much the end of the episode. Yep. Uh, did I miss anything there no, at the end of the episode? I or... mean... <laughs> oh, you, I know what you're talking about. There, there's... <laughs> no, I, I wasn't talking about anything. I'm just saying that there's... All the girls basically say goodbye, and that's... We, we got it. I think next episode we have training camp from hell. Okay, up. so the I'm going to identify the one thing you forgot, which was maybe the low point of the episode for me, uh, at, at the very okay. end, where um, Pendulum... Oh, I know what you're yeah, going for. Pendulum, she rocks back and forth... And, which apparently causes Mune Mune's breast to bounce up and down for no reason. <laughs> and then they comment that there are still mysteries in the world. And uh, so that 
was maybe the dumbest use of superpowers in an anime I've ever seen. This is the first introduction of magical realism into the the world of Scorching Ping Pong Girls is making Mune Mune's breasts bounce uncontrollably. Uh, For no... Because, I see, I didn't even make the connection between Pendulum making her do that yeah. and... Because I just thought this was just a random shot because it's not established at all. I just thought they decided, okay, time to make her breasts jiggle. It's been yeah, a while. exactly. It was so... The animators got yeah, bored. Um, it was unfortunate, as is almost everything having to do with Mune Mune. Um, <laughs> I was not too keen on this episode. Um, it it r- continued with some of the unfortunate trends from the rest of this match, where they have a lot of ambition for how much ping pong they're going to show, but when you actually break it down, it's a lot of still shots that are panned over with speed lines and a lot of a lot of shots that just show the score going up back and forth and other people reacting to it or ping pong sound effects being played over still shots without any actual animation um clearly we just have to resign ourselves to the fact that the animation's never coming back um but i i i couldn't really get into it i thought it was a pretty boring that there was that each character only had one strategy the entire match where karori's strategy was well i'm gonna use my curve drive like i always do and koyori's strategy was like well i'm just gonna use my four you know my forward smash until it works now and yes they did take some time to explain why eventually using the quote-unquote sweet spot uh made such a big difference but it i don't know i didn't buy the fact that that was the only way that koyori could have won that there was no other approach to take there was no she she only used a forehand smash the entire match why didn't she try literally any other type of response that that's that's what got to me okay i can agree with you on that I did appreciate, though, that Kar- I have no problem with Karuri not knowing what to do outside of her curve drive. Uh, yeah. Because this is a character who has been very well established as being very clingy with her friend Zakuro. The fact that she wants to win these matches just using her friend, the technique that she learned from her best friend that she feel like feels like she needs to earn to keep. I thought that I liked that. And I like the fact that she doesn't know how to counter Koyori. So she, but, so, and she realizes that she's just been complacent with this. She's been complacent with her game. It's actually a very similar twist that we saw with Agari a few, a uh, few episodes well, back. At the beginning, yeah. And I liked, and I liked that they brought that back because now she's learning during the game, okay, I have to improve myself. This is the, this is like, I can't just let my friendship with Zakuro and here. I actually need to work towards it. And of course, you know, that was all in her head. And I, again, I don't mind that mm. either. But, and I also disagree with you on the animation not coming back because I thought they brought it back hard with the final showdown with, uh, with, with that final well, shot. Sure. Because that was that one was... shot. Like, I mean, the, the trend was still there. The trend was still there, sure. But that, but that still is way more than we've gotten the back. And I thought there was still 
a lot more energy during that final scene than what we have gotten from the series up to this point. Yeah. For You're not wrong. Like, like I love... There's the shot I love when Zakuro actually manages to get this shot to work. I love this, uh, this triple cut we get of her, of her just her insane wind-up where she's, like, leaning back. Oh, you mean Karuri? Oh, Karuri, sorry, yeah. Yeah. And she's, uh, you know, when she knocks a shot, we get a side view of, of the, of the, uh, of the table, and we see the, uh, the ball actually rotate around the table and actually get, like, really near the camera and then just angle right away. And it's just, this is such... It's like again, this is this is more of the shots I loved from when the series started. And you know what? I actually kind of liked uh, Agar, uh, Koyori's return. Did do you so you um, like? I I didn't like the fact that she finally evolved her curve drive within the match, and then Koyori just did the same thing she'd been doing and won anyway. Well, okay. So here's the thing: is well, she manages to evolve it. She knows what to do. That doesn't necessarily mean she knew how to perfect it. So I actually like the fact that it still fails. It's just on the base. She just remember. She knows what to do now because again, this is a practice yeah. game. Now I know. I know it doesn't really matter for this game, but for the series. But I'm going to maintain the fact that this was. She won. I. She didn't win, but she. Yeah. She evolved her shot. And, but it's still lost for her because, again, she just figured out how to Fair do enough. this. So, what really bothered me about the episode, and I guess I'm just going to have to get used to it, is the consistent Yuri baiting. Like, the... Oh, okay, yeah, no, that was garbage. The, the biggest example, of course, like you alluded to at first, was with Koyori and Agari, where Koyori just chooses to phrase things in the most awkward way possible right like who speaks exactly like she's like that? hey agari it's gonna come in handy you know that time we groped for the spot that felt best yeah right that's like... that's such an awkward way to phrase something that of course right, is just it... there to get and all the characters are like whoa you were groping each other whoa and yeah, it's like, that's not a natural way in which people speak. You're clearly trying to write this... You are you thought of a funny gag in your head, and you're trying to force the dialogue to mm -hmm. fit that, rather than vice mm -hmm. versa. Yeah, it was, it was awful. Uh, and then it was paired with the fact that at the end of the match, of course Koyori, like, collapses from exhaustion... Which isn't really earned because, yeah, she's been sweating, but, like, for her to physically collapse, that came out of nowhere. Okay, no, I actually disagree with that because I didn't take that as her collapsing from exhaustion. I took that as the intensity of her shot, basically. She had to force that shot so hard that the sheer momentum, or, like, the sheer force of her hit was basically through okay, her well, over. either way, it was a just, just a justification to get her in Agari, to be, be cradled in Agari's arms. Um, the same way, on, on the opposite end, they had uh, Kururi collapse, and Zakuro just lies down on her. Um, to show <laughs> that, you know, they're really just, they're still, they're such good friends. Um, it's, this, this show is, mm, this show is just trying to 
put a thin veil over its cheap Yuri baiting. And, you know, it, it's, it's one thing if these characters had relationships that were earned on any level. Um, but they aren't. They're just random, and they just look at each other and blush and talk about wanting to make make one another doki-doki all the time. Uh, but none of it feels earned or justified. I don't know. Uh, again, I, I didn't really mind it in this episode, I guess. Just on the basis that I do buy Karuri and Zakuro's relationship, I guess. And, you know, I, I realized it was kind of obvious that as soon as she was like, no, I have to win this match in order to see Zakuro smile. Like, I, I understand that obviously Zakuro wasn't going to just abandon Karuri after everything they've been through. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I yeah, it it was it was I okay. Don't... Honestly, what frustrates me is that the relationship between the, these random opponents is better justified than the one between the two main characters. Right, and that's fair. And not only that, I will also say that it if this was just one-off things, it would be mm -hmm. fine. But the fact that it's coupled with this awkward dialogue Ugh. and Mune Mune's apparently magic yeah. breasts. That, you know, it, it starts... I can understand why that can start to be get to be hard to ignore. Yeah. Um, so, speaking of shows that are hard to ignore, I'm going to talk about Tiger Mask. All right, sure. So, Tiger Mask episode 10. Finally, we get the match we've all been waiting for between Tiger Mask <laughs> and Mr. Question. Um, Tiger Mask makes uh, several attempts at the beginning of the match to bend mr question to force him into submission holds uh but mr question does yoga because he's from india so he can just bend any which way including yeah. twisting his spine 180 degrees because that's a thing um <laughs> eventually they're 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 fighting and mr question has the upper hand and he sort of taunts or eggs on tiger mask and he says if there's an, a tiger inside you show it to me and just at that moment tiger mask looks and sees that yellow devil is watching the match and he remembers oh yeah i'm angry at yellow devil so then he gets his his strength back and he drop kicks uh mr question and then suplexes him like three times in a row and wins um <laughs> <laughs> they uh he 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 tells mr Qu well he asks mr question like who are you and mr question says i'll tell you later and then he leaves he cuts to um it's the ace otherwise known as tanahashi uh fighting poseidon the random guy and poseidon punches him uh, like he has a sucker punch but then it's the ace uh wins easily and that's that's the end of the match. There's there's really not a lot of justification <laughs> except for the fact that uh, Poseidon is revealed to have been uh, another New Japan Pro Wrestling wrestler who uh, always loses, and he was just there for the money. Whatever. Um, they right. cut back to you, Mr. Question, who explains that he is a disciple of the original Mr. Question, and he wanted to test the strength of Tiger Mask to see if he'd be strong enough to overcome. Uh, GWM, he says he isn't strong enough yet because Tiger Mask still doesn't have a quote-unquote killer move. 
Um, and right. then they finish off by showing Ryu dressed up as Dragon Young, great name, uh, fighting Yellow Devil. <laughs> Ryu's attacks do literally nothing and are incapable of forcing <laughs> Yellow Devil to move at all. Every time Yellow Devil strikes him, he uh, Ryu goes flying, and he he ends up just knocking him out and standing on him uh, to win. And that's that's the end of the episode. So it sets up that uh, it's the Ace is gonna get murdered by Yellow Devil next week, and uh, Tiger the Dark and Tiger Mask are both going to fight each other. I I love the fact that they have to set up. Uh... It's the Ace's own personal grudge against Yellow Devil, as if though that's going to end up. Yeah, exactly. Anything. Like he's going to avenge Ryu. Right. It's like no, we have to root for it's the Ace because of his uh, because of Ryu's like terrible defeat, and it's like he's he's going to lose. How is Tanahashi supposed to be any better than uh, Ryunosuke? Mm-hmm. Well, so that that's the thing. In part, is because Tanahashi is a real wrestler in Japan. So he's uh, based directly on an actual pro wrestler in Japan. He and Rainmaker are the two real wrestlers in this show that are somewhat main characters. So that's the reason he had to at least win the first match, and he has to be, like, a super popular good guy. Um, Okay. Because I was wondering going in, like, why did they waste Fukuwara? You know, it should have been... Fukuwara should have been the one fighting Poseidon so we could see him do something... Um, but they wasted right. Fukuwara because they needed Tanahashi to win because this is all promotional material for New Japan Pro Wrestling. Okay, okay, interesting. Um, okay, so that actually explains a lot. I did not realize yeah. that. Um, so, I have to say, Rio's fight against Yellow Devil... I did like one moment during that match, which is when Yellow Devil hits him with the mm-hmm. Lariat, and they actually give him a decent, like, he spins several times in midair before finally yeah, cracking Yeah, it's really down. well animated. You can you can feel all the hits on Ryu. Right, but just exactly. on Ryu. I mean, that's the, the, the hilarious thing to me, is that you know, Ryu is a strong human being, but for some reason, he can run up and punch Yellow Devil, smack him. He can try to grab him from behind. Yellow Devil doesn't move an inch. He just physically... Yeah, literally, like, like... How heavy is he... he that Ryu can't even pick him up? Ryu knows how to do a suplex, but he literally right. couldn't get Yellow Devil an inch off the ground. Does that mean he's just heavier? <laughs> like, how is how can he not be picked up? right that that was uh they they just had to make yellow devil so strong that he can't be picked up by people (laughs) yeah because apparently or like i guess i don't know maybe he's just like shifting his weight down i don't think you can do that without moving (laughs) yeah i don't know Um, um there is one thing i will say and this is actually something i'm kind of missing i'm sorry i'm missing from the match against red death Mm -hmm. mask which is this this isn't brutal. Enough. What, Yellow Devil? Well, not just Yellow Devil, but a lot of these oh, matches. Yeah. Because, you know, during Red Devil, or uh, Red Death Mask, we, like, you know, we really got to see some really gruesome mm-hmm. moments. 
And I don't know. It feels it feels like since then it's gotten the series has gotten very quick. Yeah, it's cartoony. Like yeah, it's cartoony and like there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that. But I don't know. Like these are some very brutal attacks that these people are using on one another. And I, I don't know. I I'm not generally the one who cries like more blood. Well, yeah, but the the but, reason that it's weird is that they already went there but they don't go back. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, they went there with Red Death Mask, and they're kind of shying away from it now. We also kind of got that with the match versus Yellow Devil, where he literally chops uh, chops the previous mentor across the chest, and, you know, his chest bursts open, you know? Mm-hmm. And I feel like all of a sudden it decided it needed to, t- to like, get a little more tame. Yeah, I, d- I, don't know. I don't know if it's tame or they just can't afford to be as explicit in what they're animating you know um (laughs) it just takes too much um what did what did you think of the well the the one thing i want to say there's really not much content here to be honest um the one thing i wanted to say about the interaction with mr question that made me laugh was that they needed to take the time at the end of the match for tiger mask to say who are you and mr question says i'll tell you later and i'm like oh man he's gonna get murdered he's not gonna be able to tell it you know because that (laughs) would make sense why take the time to say i'll tell you later nope right they just cut to another scene of them sitting down together he's like okay i will tell you now I mean, I guess it's just like, well, I'm not going to tell you right now. You know, we're right in the middle of the ring. I don't want to expose my identity to all these people. No, I'm trying to exactly. Keep it secret, but you know? it's it's just another function of these bad sports shows where they set you up like, oh man, there's going to be intrigue. It's like, nope, it's the simplest right, solution nothing. possible. <laughs> uh, yeah. And again, uh, Mr. Question is another one of those characters where I feel like I can't fully appreciate it because he was trained by Great Zuma. Yeah. And I have no idea who Great Zuma is because he was a character in the original series. Yeah, this is clearly supposed to be meaningful. Um, but, hey, I, I don't really have much else on this one. <laughs> okay, so yeah, why don't we just move on okay. to All Out. Okay, so this episode begins... Uh, first of all, I'd just like to point out the title of the episode, which is I Ate Too Much Shaved mm. Ice. Um, I just thought this was very entertaining with, like, the episode names of all the other series that we've been covering. <laughs> it's like, because it's like Battle of Ideologies, like the final match, and it's like, I ate too much shaved exactly. ice. <laughs> but anyway, so, anyway, so all of the, the entire team has now taken up training on mm-hmm. the beach. And we get a lot of fun interactions with the team there, which we'll get into during our actual discussion. But they're all training on the beach, and doing various different exercises, either jogging or carrying each other, etc. And then the coach proposes to them, look, we got 147 days until the prelims, right? Seems like a lot of time, I realize. But look at it like this. If we train two hours a day, that actually only gives us 13 days of actual Hmm. practice. So, you guys got to figure out what you want to do. And Sekizan proposes to him, well, we can train harder if we just do this, if we come to the beach here every day. Is that okay with you? And he goes, yeah, fine, whatever, what do I care? Um, and then after that, we get a, we get a bit of an ex- uh, interaction between uh, Orhano and uh, Gion. And Gion, because Orhano 
is still pretty shaken up from the previous match against Sagami. And Gion approaches him and they start he starts digging with him because that was part of their training was digging. And he asks him, like, Hey, so I, I'm kind of wondering about my position. I'm kind of thinking about wanting to shift it around. And they start talking for a little bit. And we find out that Oharano has... he, As was alluded to during the Sagami game, he had a younger brother that he felt like he discouraged from playing rugby. And that was because he... They played on the same team, and whenever it came time to call out for another player, uh, uh, Oharno got called, rather than the brother. And the brother really, really loved to play rugby, but never got the chance mm-hmm. to. And so there's this big discussion between Gion and him where Oranaho uh, uh, <laughs> speaks to him and says, uh, like, hey, so do you actually like this game? And Gion's like, actually, kind of not really, because I never actually get to play. So that's kind of why I'm hoping to change my position around. And this sets off uh, Oharano. Oh, Harano. Yeah, I know I've said it differently every time, okay? I... <laughs> so, Oharano uh, gets really angry angry with Gion and explains, I'm only playing this game because until my brother decides he wants to start playing rugby again, because I took that mm-hmm. from him. And so then we, uh, we kind of cut away from the beach, and we have... It's, it's their day off from practicing... And Gion and another member of the team go out to Ryoji Academy, which were they were uh, they were the district champions. They were the ones who actually beat Sagami High, right. correct? Right. And so they go out to scout uh, Ryoji Academy because you know they got nothing else going on. And so uh, the position that Gion has been considering has been a flanker. And so he po- and so uh, his teammate points out to him. Hey, you know, you should watch their flanker then. Uh, this guy, Sakito, who's apparently super popular with the girls, who he has an entire crowd there just cheering for him. And then as they're watching, they're approached by a hooded man who says, I'm actually on the team, but I have an ice cream headache, basically. I have a... I have a brain a, freeze. Yeah, brain freeze. That's it. And that's why I'm not out there right now. And that's pretty much where the episode ends. Yeah. He ate too much shaved ice. He ate too much shaved ice. Yeah, I didn't feel like much happened in this episode. Um, yeah. I I guess it's, in terms of the content, the most significant thing was understanding a little bit more about Oharano. Um, right. But I still didn't feel like there was enough there to really flesh it out. It was like, okay, you're a lot better than your little brother at rugby, and eventually he stopped playing rugby. But, you know, it's not like he died or anything. He just stop playing rugby and so you keep playing rugby so he will again eventually i don't i i I guess in his head it's like it's like a self-inflicted punishment because the reason why his brother stopped was because his talent was what kept him from being able he was basically living under his brother's shadow and he got sick of it so he stopped and so uh oh harano (laughs) <laughs> states that he wants to you know he's trying to make it up to him because he re- he feels like because of his talent he he owes it to his brother to keep pursuing yeah. it i don't know i mean it, it was fine but i feel like they spent yeah. a lot of time on it 
and it was 50% implied already. I feel like they, they spent a lot more time to go into how it came about than they needed to. It was pretty, pretty obvious. It was pretty kind of surface level. And I also kind of presented the fact that immediately after that, uh, Guillaume says like, oh, well, I don't actually dislike rugby. I'm, I'm going to be the best and I'll show you. Ha ha ha. Uh, it's sort of like, okay, well, so is he just lying or? He's lying somewhere. It's like, yeah, I kind of agree with you there. I really would have preferred it had they stuck with the, uh, with his original thing of, yeah, no, actually I'm kind of disliking Mm -hmm. the game. Like, yeah, I kind of don't like it because I'm not getting, I'm not able to do mm-hmm. anything. So, yeah, I'm kind of getting turned off yeah. of this. And if they had actually committed um, to that, that would have been interesting, but they didn't. Um, right, and that there was were, kind of the There problem. were large segments of this episode which were just sort of goofy hijinks on the beach. <laughs> there, right. there wasn't really anything uh, that I, like, it was a lot of shots of Hirota um, being fat. <laughs> and, and people be like, oh, well, he sure is fat, but whoa, they're going to do sumo, and now he has an advantage, because he's huge. But it turns out he actually doesn't, because if you go low, then you can win. And it's like, all right, great. You know, I, I didn't really get much from that. They had one kind of funny gag with that, which is when they were doing the carrying practice, there's that one team, there's that one member of the team who's like, hey, sorry, I need a, uh, I need a partner. Anybody, anybody want to partner up? And then, uh... Hirota. Uh, Hirota. Yeah. Uh, he approaches him, he's like, hey, I'll be your partner. And then he just very politely goes, no, yeah. thank you. Yeah, that was good. I, that got a laugh out of me. Had they done, like, this overreaction, like, oh, no, uh, no, no, no. It's like, that would have been yeah. kind of dumb. But um, I like how just very simply and politely he just goes, oh, no, no, thank yeah. you. I liked, I liked the very end, too, when they're doing, you know, research on the best flanker and they... Uh, they observed Sekito, and it, it was a really well animated match. The the match they're observing with him um, being able to tackle so low that he takes people's feet out from under them, the way that Guillaume wants to, and also that even when he's surrounded, he can dive through other people's legs. So he actually uses right. uh, the fact that he's short to as an advantage, which obviously is inspiring to Guillaume. So I thought that was that was well done, and it was interesting. Um, but honestly, the 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 amount of the the number of instances in which something was interesting in this episode was pretty much confined to the very end where they were observing Rioan, uh, excuse me, uh, Ryoji, whatever the name was, of of yeah. the uh, academy, and so that that was interesting, but there wasn't much else to it for me. Yeah, so. so... Kind of going along with that. Do you want to go on to something else that didn't have a whole lot yeah. going on? <laughs> Great intro for days. Your favorite <laughs> show and mine. All right, so this is the second to last, if you can believe it, it's the second to last episode of days. Um, all right, so we're we're in, moving eventually towards the end of this match with Keogawara. Um, so. Uh, a lot of boring stuff happens. There, there's a, like it's like every somehow this match has gone on for. This is the fourth episode for this match. Yeah. And they continue the trend where they have a lot of near misses at the goal. So Kai on Keogawara 
almost scores again, but Kimishita does a slide tackle to disrupt it, and everyone freaks out because slide tackles exist. Um, and then towards the end, Usui is about to uh, stop Maru from scoring, uh, but he collapses from exhaustion randomly. <laughs> in the last second <laughs> of the game, he, he well, not the last, quite the last second, but in the last few minutes of the game, he just randomly collapses from exhaustion, and Keo Gawara scores, and they tie the game. So, with just a couple minutes left, um, Tsukamoto motivates the team to strike back, uh, and he eventually receives the ball, Tsukamoto does, uh, and he gets fouled. Uh, right in front of the goal because Kai grabs his shirt and pulls him to the ground, of course, because that's a strategy. Um, and they, so Seiseki gets a free kick, um, and Kimishita tells everyone that he's going to pass to them, but he doesn't. He just scores, like, again. And so he manages all three of the goals that Seiseki gets are through free kicks by Kimishita, which is ridiculous. Um, <laughs> To be fair, the series does point out that's ridiculous. Sure, of course. There's just they said that's like that's pretty that's pretty uncommon. The fact that a school would win by getting a hat trick with the three penalty right. kicks. Yeah, they know it's ridiculous, but also there's no justification for it because you've never seen a free kick from Kimishita before, and now he's the only scorer. He's the yeah, he's the one that they're all doing the... He's the one who's doing all the free kicks. And I love the fact that they have to do this whole... They have to build up this whole thing about Kimishita. About, it's like, no, he's the type of guy who will do the thing that's best for the team and not sacrifice... Like, and will sacrifice his personal glory. And it's like, I thought that was Tsukamoto's well, thing! also, how... How are they trying to make that argument when he scored all three goals? You know, everyone's right. like, oh, you should probably pass... You know, just make a pass on this free kick and we'll, you know, have the forwards up close so we can try and score. No. The best thing for the team is if I'm the only one who scores. Hmm. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And not only that, but, like, the last go I don't understand how he made this last goal. He made an arcing shot, like, to the side that curved in the air... And I mean, I, I'm not saying it's not possible, because, you know, I don't really follow soccer at all. Yeah, but that's not how a normal shot was, is made. And it's pretty similar to the first free kick he made, which was a curveball. And they were like, oh, that's a one in a hundred shot. That's crazy. How could he possibly do that? And then he just does it again. Yeah. Yeah, no. It, <sighs> it sucks. Yeah, yeah, it sucks. I mean, really, moving right. on. Uh, real quick, though, I did want to point out as well that the episode title of this episode... It's actually, I think, supposed to be the episode title for the next one. Yeah, I think that might just have been a mistake in translation somewhere along the line. Yeah, I, I don't quite understand because the title of this episode was, I'm a member of the team too. And then in the preview for the next episode, we have Ubakata commenting like, hey, I'm a member of this team too. And it's like, I think that was supposed to be the next episode. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, anyway. ne next week we get to see them set up for season two. Season two. <laughs> We know, they haven't announced it, but it's oh, happening. Boy. I'm just waiting right, for the so announcement. You want to tell me the, all the great things happening in the world of KJL. Yeah, sure thing. So, okay, so first of all, a slight co correction from last week. Uh, I said that Albanon and Nozomi were all on the same mm -hmm. team. 
Uh, they are not. This is actually, it was Elba and Nan are on the same team, but they're on the same team with Usagi and the muscle girl that Nan beat to advance to the elite mm-hmm. class. And so what happened, so the other team's strategy, so Suruga's uh, pl- uh, academy's plan is to separate them all out into one-on-one matches because apparently the problem before with the first match was that they didn't do that. Even though, I, I don't know, whatever. And what happens is, so they all get singled out, but Alba had this great plan that she went through before the match started because they're on a, uh, they're on like a seesaw land. So they're standing on a bunch of planes. So the, it, it has a pivot to mm-hmm. it essentially. You, so you can kind of, it, it can move around like mm-hmm. a seesaw. So everybody separates onto different parts of the land. And then right when they're all seemingly cornered, Alba tells them all to jump and stomp on the land, and it sends two of their players, uh, like, launching. And that just leaves the two players... I didn't even bother to name the other two because they're so unimportant that uh, it doesn't matter. So the two that are left are Hohoen Sanai and Kurogiri Ayase, whose uh, special technique is that she hypnotizes herself so that her butt becomes as hard of steel, uh, like, basically as hard as the muscle girl's butt. And she manages, or Hoenn manages to knock off Muscle Girl like it's nothing because she's an unimportant character. And so that leaves it as a three-on-one match. Alba suggests that the other two girls, so Nan and Usagi, go off to deal with uh, Kurogiri while she deals with Hoenn. And Hoenn's like, ah, you know, there's no way you can stand up against me. Like, I'm this incredible player. And then Alba's like, no. I actually have all the data on all the elite players on my team, so I can use all of their techniques. Oh, really? How did she acquire all that data? Oh, uh, by butt-touching. Mm. Yes, uh, that is what she refers to as the Gates of Booty Law. Mm. Which uh, does have a pretty amazing visual me- uh, visual metaphor, where she summons a giant bunch of butts to surround her, and she reaches out with her hand and mentally touches them. Which apparently gives her the... I guess it's like this tick that she has so that she can get into the right mindset so she can use these attacks. And so uh, Hohoen has has difficulties dealing with all of these different... Uh, you know, because she's, she's basically a very varied fighter. She doesn't know mm-hmm. what to do. And it's because she can just keep mixing up her attacks. So uh, Hohoen is forced to drag out her ultimate technique, which is the Perky Pile Piper. Uh-huh. This is where she... Uh, twists her nipples super hard and basically turns her breasts into drills. <laughs> and so she knocks into uh, Alba and then uh, Alba's like, I can't, I don't have a proper counter for this. I don't know what to do. And so as she, uh, and she's like, you know, one more hit's gonna probably knock me out. And then as she's about to use the, uh, the Perky Pile Piper again, uh, Non jumps in and knocks her down, da- and basically knocks her boobs out of the way with her own boobs, with a uh, with a boob dunk. And what's revealed is that uh, Kurogiri, she's uh, she can only hypnotize herself before for so long before her butt goes back to normal, and so Usagi has to sacrifice herself in order to take her down with her. And so it's uh, Non and Alba against uh, Hohoen. And in a kind of an interesting scene, in a well, and when I say interesting, I mean a little funny, is where she's using the pile piper against them, and they're both blocking with their butts, and they can do it with uh, with a butt per boot. Ugh, I hate this. 
It's almost over. Okay, and so what happened... And so, but this does... Uh, non does manage to get blown away. And so, as she's using the, the perky pile piper, as she's building it back up, uh, non manages to reach out her foot as she's flying into the water to knock the... Uh, to knock the the plane, the, to knock the land, so that she loses some balance, so she can't get the, the Perky Pile Piper correctly. So Alba sees that as to be the perfect time to counter with her own boob dunk, and after this, the two go flying across the, uh, across the land. They both land in the water about roughly the same time, right? And so it seems like the match is a draw, so they have to go to the, to the video replay. And what they at first it looks like Alba won the match because uh, Hohoen fell into the water first. She, uh, she was the one who reached the water first. However, because her perky pile piper was still going, the force of this technique was causing the the water underneath her to un to create a bunch of air pressure underneath her, so that pushed the water down ever so slightly, so that Alba fell in first. And that's pretty much where the episode ends. So now, uh, good old Satoshi Academy is down one. Uh, they're basically tied right now. Uh, they have one win in their favor and one uh, one loss. Hmm. Okay, and so this is my big issue with the episode. I hate it when series try and do this. Where they're basically trying to... They're trying to establish conflict here and establish pressure because, you know, they're down... They lost their game, and so now it's all tied up. But they couldn't just let the characters lose. They had to establish Alba as being on equal ground as Hohoen. But they just ever so slightly she lost. If you get what I'm saying here. I guess. So basically it's like the series is too afraid to ever say of any of its title characters that no. They're like, no, the main team can never really lose. Because they're that good. But it was just this one stupid BS reason that they lost. But, don't worry, it was really a win for both Alba and Non. And I thought that was a real cop-out for them. Because, again, the series really only cares about Miata and Nozomi. And so, but, but they're still trying to give equal credit to Alba and Non. But, or really just to Alba, because Non's kind of worthless who basically kind of lucks into her wins. And I don't know, because they did something very similar with her win against, uh, or with her loss versus Kuchisaki uh, when she went up against her. It's like, no, she had to pull out an illegal technique to beat you, Alba. And, like, that's the only reason why you lost. Here, again, they're pulling that same crap again, where it's, no, she didn't really lose if they had, but just this one, and it's just, it wouldn't bother me so much, but it was, like, by a hair. They had to make it so close but, oh, no, no, it was, uh, Alba really won this hmm. match. Anyway, I can see you don't really care, so let's just go on to oh, the Oh, well, first. I don't know where you would get that. That's, that's totally unfair. <laughs> I just, at this point, the, the nuances of Keijo are so deep and butt-centric that they're beyond me entirely. Um, so, speaking of, yeah, another show with lots of, lots of really important nuance long riders um so the episode starts out with uh saeki who is a girl that exists and a... 
She <laughs> observes Amy riding to class on her bike, and then they sit down next to each other in class and talk about bikes. And that's it. Um, eventually they take, uh, the girls all go out on a 100 kilo, uh, kilometer ride to show Amy that she can ride 100 kilometers, and they stop off for ice cream, uh, of course, and eventually ride 100 kilometers, and they say, look, Amy, you did it. And then immediately, Amy, they, they cut to Amy packing up to go do the Azuri Autumn Ride, which is 160 kilometers, and they drive there, which we'll get into, um, and, uh, and stay <laughs> at the hotel and have a bath. And then they, Amy is really worried, but Aoi tells her that it's going to be okay. And she says, oh, you're right. And then they start the race and Amy declares that their goal is to have fun and stay the course together as friends. Right, and I mean that's pretty much it. That's right. It. That's the whole. That's the whole thing. Okay, good. I did. I. I. Yeah, I didn't think there really was. Okay, so let's just talk about Sayake real Please. quick. Okay. Okay, so I think what they're gonna try and do with this is that in the very last episode, she's gonna pop back up as the. Basically, she's going to be Amy's counterpoint. You know, she was Amy at the mm. beginning of this wonderful journey in her discovery of bikes. She's got. She's uh, Amy's gonna go from being the newbie to the mm -hmm. senpai. And so, and she's going to teach Sayaki about, you know, the joys of biking, just like Hinata, Hinako did for her. Great. Yeah. I... <laughs> it was what... Right, what does that yeah, mean? Exactly. Who cares? I mean, what bothered me was that they treated this as a character that Amy had an established relationship with, even though she's never appeared right. before. Because they're too lazy to actually force them to have enough dialogue as an introduction. So they have to say, right. like, oh, hey, person I know, randomly, let's talk about the fact that we already know each other. Um, and just pretend like I the do. audience is too stupid to notice. I love that cold opening where you see her riding by when, you know, you see Sayaki walking along and uh, all of a sudden Amy rides by and then the camera starts to le uh, linger on Sayaki as she watches Amy drive by. And it's like... Oh, okay, so we're establishing a new important character. Mm -hmm. And then it's like the first three or so minutes focus on her. And then she's gone. Her, and then yeah, it's just exactly. nothing. She just yeah. disappears. It's it's amazing. Um, this show is is bad in very surprising ways. Um, <laughs> like, uh, there's, a, there's a couple things that I, I thought were funny. Um, there's really no content here, surprisingly. Um, <laughs> again, there's there's <laughs> just there's nothing. So the only thing I can concentrate on is the random, stupid throwaway lines they try and get away with. Um, like Amy's mom at one point, they're eating dinner as a family, and her mom says, "Amy, you sure have been eating a lot recently." And right. they and Amy's like, "Well, it's okay because like I've been." cycling a lot more so i work it off and then her mom and sister are like super suspicious about that as an explanation like oh i'm not sure exercise will actually help you work off calories you know like they they, they treat this whole uh, exercise thing as suspect i i think the joke and i don't know if it's if because the series is not properly communicating mm -hmm. this 
I think the gag that they're getting at is that they think Amy might be pregnant. Well, because, you know, she's eating a lot because now she's eating for two and she does all this weird stuff where she's just sort of sing-songing to herself. And you're like, catch her at weird moments and she's like super embarrassed about it. I I think that might be the I thought joke. the joke was supposed to be that they didn't think she was actually cycling as much as she said she was. That, like, she's okay. got whatever... They don't really believe her that she's going to actually ride 100 kilometers because that's so out of character with what they know of her. But also, <laughs> why is that a joke? And who cares? Yeah, it's not, it's not really a joke. Because they keep establishing... They were trying to make this a recurring gag where her sister yeah. walks in on and it's her never, yeah. during a... It's never funny. Like, just... Yeah, it's never funny. But she walks in on her and just doing something slightly strange, you know, in mm-hmm. private. Like, nothing even, like, incriminating. Mm-hmm. But, you know, just acting a little silly in, pub, in and, private. Yeah. And, like, oh, um, this, you're weird. Oh. Yeah, exactly. Uh... Another another moment I want to want to highlight is when they are driving to the, uh, right. the autumn ride and Yayoi, they they all comment on what a good driver Yayoi is apparently because she's capable of changing lanes and that shocks everyone, <laughs> um, but they're like oh wow Yayoi you're so good and she's like yeah I'm a good driver but my boobs get in the way, and yeah, then they like, have a what? full shot of the seatbelt in between her boobs and say like oh i like my boobs hit the steering wheel you're like what move your seat That's, back is, is that a problem girls have i don't like, think you, it you is can, it's an adjustable seat i guarantee you can get your breasts out of the way of a steering wheel um right, and then right. of course they have to have a joke about hinako being like well i could drive because i have tiny breasts and like oh my gosh right, why is I, this I, happening and they have to cut to her. Well, during this, they have to cut to her and we get a shot of yeah. her chest. And it's like, yeah, we can look we at her, it. okay? Uh, I... And then they, they, they don't leave the boob talk there because eventually they do get to the hotel. And they decide that, you know, they should take a bath. But Yoyoi says, insists that while there is a private bath in their hotel room, we prefer the communal bath. Right? <laughs> um, and basically telling the girls that they're all going to go bathe together, which of course they do, and they talk about how great it is to bathe together, and then they all comment on each other's boobs, and Hinako says that her boobs are small, just like Amy's, but uh, Aoi's and Yoyoi's have, are bigger. And then they just have close-ups on all their breasts. Of course. Of course. Because this... Right. Ugh. This... Now, I will say at the very least, because I know bathing in Japan, like the communal bath, it's a very different experience. It's seen, it's not really seen as like, you know, like, oh, it's bath time or anything. It's, it's generally seen as being more, as a, more of a relaxation. I understand that, but it was still, um, the, the scene only existed so that you could get close-ups of breasts. Yeah, well, yeah, no. I mean, it was an excuse to get the girls nude in a series that's generally pretty quiet and tries to do fan service in more subtle ways. So we had to have our whole, okay, now they're bathing together. Yay, mm-hmm. they're naked. Yeah, everybody take a screen cap of this. Um, <laughs> and and uh, maybe I mean, there was just a lot of weird contradictions where they say that 
you know, everybody comes and they do this race because it has such great food, but it's also a bike Right, race. like, I thought that was really their motivation, um, you know? And they, they won't stop commenting on how Saki loves eating, and so, so like, Saki's always, oh, like, she showed up early to the race just so she could eat, and she shows up early to dinner because she, she that Saki, she sure loves eating. And I'm like, is this a joke? What is this? What is the joke? This is not an established character trait. Yeah, also, even if it was. Like, it's like Yayoi being the gearhead, right? Like, okay. like, this is not something that was ever established about her. And then all of a sudden she mentions, she starts talking about all of the, all the parts of the bike. Uh-huh. And it's like, this isn't a trait. Exactly. You can just be like, oh boy, she sure had. likes eating. Um, similarly, at one point, Yayoi says. Yeah, I mean, this race gets more popular every year. There's more there's more people participating every year. Uh, and then shortly thereafter, she says, well, you know, uh, the participation is strictly limited. So only 1,500 people can can race. So every year, like, there's more people who are on the wait list. And you're like, wait, so is it growing or is it set? Because you're contradicting yourself. Right. But uh, I guess maybe they had to start limiting it because it was growing. One thing I wanted to point out of that before uh, we have to end this, there's something I don't because it seems like the numbers that they get were sequential based on like when they ended up uh-huh. signing up. So uh, Hinako and Yayoi have sequential numbers for okay. one another, and uh, Aoi and uh, and Amy have sequential numbers from one another, mm-hmm. right? And Saki's is totally different, which is, you know, fine. Except Saki's number is in between uh, Yayoi and Hanako's and between uh-huh. and uh, Aoi's and Amy's number. Didn't she get there before all of them? Well, I don't think it's about when you show up. It's about when you sign up. Like, when you register online. Right, but I... I also don't understand why all five of them weren't registered. Like, if they're doing it as a team... Like, because this is a team competition. You have to have a group of five, I thought. So, right. why yeah. wouldn't they all be sequential? Yeah. Like, I don't I don't understand it. Um, that goes for most of this show. I don't understand it. It's lazy. It's cheap. It's trying... It, like, they're trying to... They, they realize that they have a failed product because their animation budget fell apart they can't afford to animate anything um they've missed two broadcast dates so now they just announced that the last two episodes of the show are going to air in february um this show is is falling apart so they're relying on like big-breasted character models to try and sell merch and make up the costs of this this disgusting failure um I this it, it it truly it truly only gets worse for me this show, um, but uh, yeah, fun week. Still loving doing this podcast, man. Yeah, no, I'm having fun. Yeah, aside from the vast stretches where I am not because I have to watch these stupid shows. But <laughs> <laughs> hey, Yuri and Haikyuu and March comes in like a lion are good. And all that's all getting that is, good is is good. Anyway, um, I, that is more than all the time we have, Matt. So, uh, could you do me a favor and hit the credits? No. Our logo design is by James Ratcliffe. The theme music is Fly High by Burnout Syndromes, covered and performed by Luke Bartka. You can follow Koshiencast on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, and our email is koshiencast at gmail.com. 
Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We'll be back next week with the best and worst from the world of sports anime, and until then, keep training.